You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Prey, Mary Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. This Tuesday edition of thanksgiving week happy thanksgiving week to everybody out there hopefully you guys got plans uh we'll all be spread out across the state of oregon doing various things covering basketball games watching football um but it's a good time uh of of the year and it's a good time to be an oregon duck because guys they're uh preparing for their final game of the regular season and we've spoken to dan lanning monday about this game against oregon state about the injury status of a lot of guys. He was not really open to talking much about it. But then on Tuesday after practice, we got with Bo Nix. We got with Ryan Walk. Um, we got with Stephen Jones, um, Cam McCormick. Uh, I think there was one more. I'm not quite sure. Oh, uh, Karsten Battles, the long snapper. Yeah. How, uh, dare, how dare you not remember the specialist, man? <laughs> It'd be better. Uh, and, and look, I, I think – there's two two of those players are incredibly noteworthy because Oregon does not make players available if their injury status for that next game is uncertain. And Nixon and Walk both spoke with the media. I think like 99 percent guarantees these guys are playing uh, in in the game on Saturday, and that is probably in of itself, the biggest news we've got in the last 48 hours. Yeah, barring a setback. Both those guys I expect to play. Both played on Saturday at Otson. And for Knicks, you know, he was asked a fair number of questions about his ankle. Sure. Uh, He said it was feeling much better this Tuesday than last Tuesday. Probably not unexpected, but notable that he's feeling some kind of progress. Um, Also said that one of the things that kind of helped him this last week was suffering a similar more serious injury at Auburn, which ended his junior season. But just kind of knowing what an injury to an ankle feels like, what it, you know, how to, pre- how to, you know, to prepare to get back from it, all of that kind of maybe paved the way for a recovery that I think is still pretty impressive. Just to kind of reflect on, even about three or four days after he played on it, was of uh, you know that that, that was a uh, something that really helped him. So. Positive news from from Bo. Uh, talked we'll have full quotes and and uh, video up on Duck Territory later today um, on Tuesday that you'll certainly want to just kind of keep an eye out for in terms of if you want the whole picture there. He also had a lot of comments on other things that were notable. I always have a good time chatting with Bo. It's fun to be able to speak with him again. And as Matt said, you can expect him to play. Uh, Ryan Walk, same deal, going to play. And Matt, I'll let you kind of intro to this part because i wasn't over there talking with ryan when he said this but he seemed to indicate something positive with alex forsyth yeah he was 
ask just kind of like what it was like preparing uh, as the center uh, in the event that Alex Forsyth could not go against Utah. And he gave his spiel of, you know, he had history, of, you know, doing it before and it's an adjustment, but he's, he's done it. And, you know, things he felt like went well, but thankfully this week uh, he doesn't have to worry about that because Alex is back. Um, we did see Alex walk out of practice. He was not made available um, for this football game, um, but he wouldn't have been able to speak anyways because he didn't play uh, the week before. But nonetheless, you know, those are positive comments as Oregon's continuing to trend upwards on the health uh, status here. And, you know, he made it very important, Ryan did, of getting Alex back potentially for this game um, and what it would do for the offensive line because he was asked, like, how often were you doing checks? You know, you know, making you know calls at the line of scrimmage against Utah, and he he admitted uh, that's Alex's job. I don't do much of that. That's we leave it up to him. So, you know, you, you see a lot of Bo Nix making checks, making changes at, at the line of scrimmage for Oregon, um, and Alex is probably the one that does it the second most. Whether it's uh, changes for the protection or alerting Bo of something that they're seeing up front. Um, and that will only enhance Oregon's offense moving forward should he play. Yeah, and we, we talked about that after the game against Utah, at least I think. It was you know 2.30 in the morning, so I don't necessarily remember everything that we said that night. But, yeah, losing Forsyth um, last week and having walked, I mean, walked did a fine job, uh, was very serviceable at center. But there's a difference when you have your everyday center in there like Forsyth, who's had years of experience at the position, is able to make checks, um, you know, Bo talked about in general how the playbook was limited with his uh, inability to run the ball. Just that, you know, Coach Dillingham, he had to, you know, his the playbook there has, you know, the amount of plays that he was able to call dwindled really fast with Bo's inability to run. Um, but it also dwindled with the inability for them to make real checks other than what Bo sees. Because what Forsyth and Bo see probably align on most of the time. But there's definitely some moments during a game where, Alex is going to see something from his perspective that maybe Bo isn't seeing, and they're going to check that. Um, and without that and how Utah disguises their defense, it's going to lead to to potentially some issues there. But if, you know, we know that Forsyth is at least back at practice, there's still some time until the game. But if, if Alex is able to go, I think that'll help bring Oregon's offense back to what we've been seeing the last, you know, basically all season except for this Utah game and except for Georgia. I, I do wonder another thing, and I, I also want to provide a Stephen Jones update in a second, but mm. uh, if Alex plays, and again, we're in hypothetical land again, which is not my favorite, but that's where we are. I, I wonder what exactly the starting rotation is up front, assuming Ryan Walk is also available, which we think is the case. Does Stephen Jones push himself back into the lineup in some way? Is this Marcus Harper's? maintaining his left guard job and it's just the status quo of what it had been for about 10 weeks it's just something i've been thinking about now that jones is back who is the opening day right you know starter at right guard he suffers an injury i know the specifics now he said it was a a left foot sprain very close to being a liz frank liz franck liz franck yes very close to being that he said it was it, you know like and it was pretty it was a pretty serious foot injury and he yeah. heard pops you know these are bad signs and so he was out for a long time sounded like he had thought he would be back sooner um but you know and I, i'm gonna have a story up on the site just about his experience kind of not playing and how it's inspired him to maybe pursue uh offensive line coaching at some point 
after he finishes uh, his playing career. I thought that was kind of a, kind of a fun discussion I had with him. But I just wonder what his availability now coming back. He played about forty snaps um, on Saturday against Utah. How does that change the dynamic up front? Does it? Is he now your your sixth offensive lineman, or do you move walk to left guard and you move? Uh, Marcus Harper out of the starting lineup and Jones back to right guard. Like you just you just have kind of another element here, assuming Alex Forsythe is healthy. If Forsythe is not playing, which I guess we don't have any total clarity, it makes this sort of simple in terms of I think you just have the same lineup as last week. Mm-hmm. Um, JPJ, we also, by the way, as an injured player, we don't have clarity on either. Um, at least Dan hasn't given it, and we're not going to talk about what we saw at practice and what we didn't see. So uh his availability might also impact it. I just think you now have more options on the offensive line, assuming people are healthy than you've had in a minute here with, with Jones back and, and kind of how does that play into things going forward? Just kind of maybe I don't, something to, mo- to monitor. I don't think it changes anything. Um, if if his return happened three weeks ago when Oregon hit that Cal, uh, Cal Colorado stretch, then yes, I think – maybe by the Washington game, you put him into the starting lineup. But the stakes are so high right now. Um, and it sucks because I'm a big believer that you don't lose a starting job because of injury. But because the stakes are so high this season, maybe it for the Rose Bowl, if they get there and they win the conference championship game, um, and he's kind of fully back into form, back into shape, that bowl game, Um Maybe that's when he starts, or maybe even next week if if they get to the the Las Vegas Bowl or not Las Vegas Bowl, the Pac-12 championship game, and he's shown enough. But second week back from injury, I don't know. I, I would rather go with Harper, who's been very consistent this whole season. The offensive line hasn't dipped from a production right. standpoint. So go with go with what's helped you, and just have Stephen Jones just be a super sub, which he has excelled in previously in his career. Yeah, yeah and I, my only retort would be he did make 40 snaps last game and I think graded out pretty well based on PFF, so there's at least a little bit of a baseline. But I understand. I, I, I'm probably in your guys's – I'm probably in agreement, Matt, in terms of I'm a big Harper fan too. I think he's played really well this year. Um, it just I think it's just another added element though. His, his return puts another little bit of nuance in terms of how this ultimately shakes out. And I would probably anticipate that everybody is fully available. He isn't starting, but – Something to monitor, at least. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's not a bad problem to have. It's like, yeah, if Steven is available, like, good for Oregon's offensive line depth. I think that's as as much as we can look at it. Like, yeah, he, he lost his starting job because he was injured, but let's not forget how good Marcus Harper's been. Yeah, you know, we expected Oregon's offensive line to be good this season just because they returned all the starters, but one of their starters goes down, and and one of the guys who. You know, uh, whatever it was, Marcus Harper hadn't played in a, in a real meaningful snap in like over a thousand days or whatever he said it was. Um, he's doing it every week now and he's doing a damn good job of it. He's still a, a very good pass blocking uh, guard. Uh, run blocking is is OK, according to, to PFF. It's a little harder for us to really realize, you know, what, what the difference is between a great offensive lineman and just a good one. Um, or excuse me, a good and an average one. I think it's pretty easy to tell what a great offensive lineman looks like. But. Harper's been doing it. He's been doing a great job. That's still a very good offensive line. Um, Steven played pretty well against Utah. That's obviously a very tough opponent to come back from in your first game. Like Matt mentioned, maybe if it was against Colorado or Cal or someone who doesn't have nearly as good of an offensive line, it would have been easier to get him back into it. But 
you know, I again, this is just at this point, it's it's a I wouldn't say it's an embarrassment of riches for Oregon, but it is a lot of riches for Oregon because now you can keep basically your same starting offensive five on, on the O line if Forsyth is able to play this weekend, and then have Dawson and Stephen Jones and potentially JPJ off the bench. I think that's that's pretty darn good if you're if you're Oregon. So I don't think I would switch anything up, but it was really nice to see Steven back into play. And it was really nice, even though I didn't get the, the chance to talk to him because I was with, with Eric. Um, but nice to see him out there. Good kid, funny guy. Um, again, it's just a, a not an embarrassment of riches, but you know, Oregon's really deep at offensive line and, and him coming back just adds to it. So that regardless if there's another injury that happens or someone goes down during a game, Oregon's not going to have to worry about it. I, I kind of like – the last couple of seasons, I didn't like the rotations. Um, but I think this season, for whatever reason, I, I'm into it. I think it's because they're so good this year. And it, it just guarantees everyone is fresh. Whereas I think the last couple of seasons, I wasn't sold that um, every guy playing was an equal. Whereas this year, it really feels like there's been very little drop off. So like like Jared said, it just adds to the depth, and you know if, if that means a couple guys play a few fewer snaps, that that's fine by me because it just ensures everyone's healthier and more fresh by the fourth quarter. They haven't done too many. The issue with last year was it was like hockey shifts. It was like rotational yeah. changes. It was well, like last, last year. It was like drive by drive they had right like a, yeah. it was scripted hockey shifts it was five in five out or like hey tj yeah. you're gonna play this you're gonna play left tackle was, for this drive never, and then left guard never, and then it was never, was never five in five out i know never, but they would switch that. out like two or three guys at a time it just never made any sense there, no one could get like reps all the reps at like one position they just transferred all around and now they do it every once in a while but even still it's it's not that often during a game what, what it is now is basically when they get to 14j right. jack yes. jackson's in that formation and he will also play a fair amount of right guard at times a little bit of mm -hmm. left guard at times last year not to reiterate this and stick on this because we wanted to get to an upcoming game that's pretty big a rivalry game but what it was last year was literally like we're going to move our left guard to right guard and then move our right tackle off to bring in another person to play right tackle for this drive and then we're right. going to move the right tackle off and bring the right tackle who was playing before put him back on and we're going to move the guy who was playing right guard there to left guard it was just kind of you're kind of go it was just a lot of moving and it was all again it was all scripted whereas now it feels like it's it's more within the flow of the game plan so uh, but I digress I think we could talk about this Oregon State game rather than past history on the offensive line. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a break there, and then we'll come back. Um, we'll dive into just what we've gleaned early on between the Ducks and the Beavers. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, it is Rivalry Week. We need a name for this. Like, it was formerly called the Civil War, and it's no longer. We're no longer supposed to be talking about using that word to, to call this game. But we don't need to go too far down this tangent. But we just <laughs> this game needs an award. It needs a name. It needs something. It 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 is too big of a game to just be the rivalry game. Um, but nonetheless, Oregon goes to Oregon State, uh, Corvallis Research Stadium under construction, by the way. This is going to be fascinating to see. We've heard stories mm-hmm. uh, of just what it looks like, what it feels like, what it's like to work there. Um, active construction zone and a football game being played in it uh, should be pretty fun. Beavers are much improved Um year over year for two years in a row now. They're eight and three. They're five and three in Pac-12 play. And you look at I, – I think what surprises me most about this team, guys, is their defense is really good. Where you look at their head coach and he's known to be an offensive mind. They're – you know, he's a very good play caller. Um, but it's the defense that has done a lot of damage. I mean, they gave up 10 to Washington State, 9 to Colorado, 24 to Washington, 10 to Cal, and then 7 to Arizona State. Now, you could argue, look at the opponents that they're playing. They're playing the bottom-tier group outside of Washington. That helps limit you know the production that teams have defensively. But you still have to go out and do that. And mm-hmm. – you know, Oregon, that is, is credit where credit's due. And then offensively, um, they've got some really talented freshman running backs. They've got a question at quarterback, but they've got a really talented offensive line. This is going to be a good test for Oregon. With the offense, and we should note one thing here before I even get to the breakdown, is this is an opportunity to get to nine wins for Oregon State for the first time since 2012. So this would be about 10-year drought without getting to nine wins. And uh, they're certainly – you know, in position to try to do it this weekend. And then after that in the bowl game, I, I think it's, we're not a rah, rah, go Beavers podcast, but for somebody who lives in the state and, you know, once, once the Northwest teams to in general do decent, and that's probably somewhat controversial. It's, uh, it's been nice seeing the Beavers kind of on some sort of positive descent when that's a program that has historically not been very good consistently. Um, but what I was going to get to in the offense, it feels like an offense that's found its, footing here after having the quarterback change chance Nolan goes down with an injury um they're still trying to at that point figure out who their running back was you know I think Fenwick has dealt with some injuries he was the guy that they thought it was going to be to start the season but now Damian Martinez the freshman running back you mentioned who I think is probably the favorite now I would say over Jade Knott to be the freshman offensive player in the Pac-12 of the year um, 857 yards rushing, five straight games with 100 yards on the ground. Pretty big, pretty physical guy. Also got some acceleration on the outside. Like he's he's a dude, and um, it's an offense for 
for Oregon State that, again, has kind of found its identity. And it's the most run-heavy offense in the conference, about 40 rushes per game, and it's the least pass-heavy, about 25 passes per game. So they are uh, very much kind of clear-cut in terms of how they approach things. Like Ben Golbranson, the backup quarterback who's now the starting quarterback, who who knows what the case will be going forward in future seasons and even uh, later this year if Nolan's able to play in a postseason game, uh, has not attempted more than 28 passes once in his uh, six starts now. Uh, you know, and has been pretty steady. Like, I, I, he's not great, but like, he had through two interceptions against Utah in his first major action of the season. And remember, he's a freshman, so he's a young guy. Since then, eight touchdowns, one interception. Again, low pass volume offense. Never attempted more than 28. He has over 200 yards just twice in these starts and has averaged about 150 the last five. But somebody who's at least been competent in getting the ball out. And they've got guys at receiver who were really big-time recruits. It's interesting looking at – I just did my weekly – the 10 best recruits on the opposing roster. All of the top five or six guys are receivers or quarterbacks. They're all transferred from other schools, but like that's what that's made up of. They have Trayshawn Harrison, who's a former Oregon commit, ended up at falling Willie Taggart to Florida State. Uh, he's their leading receiver. Uh, you know they, They've got Ty John Lindsay, who – was a big time recruit, one time five star, ended up being like a top 50 recruit as a four star, went to Nebraska and is now there as one of their slot guys. Um, they've got several other players that are big time recruits at that position. I'm not saying it's a really explosive pass offense, but they certainly have players. Like it's not uh, a, a pass offense that is lacking talent on the outside, in my perspective, but they also are an offense that wants to go big and power the, you know, and, and power the football down your throat. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting matchup. I also would say we've seen now Oregon doesn't defend a team like Washington very well. Oregon State won't beat you the way Washington did. They will try to beat you in some ways, similarly to Utah. And I know Jared had a story up on the site, I think this morning, about that match, about kind of similarities here between those two teams. Um, if you're trying to be, again, glass half full, which I think we should be on this podcast this week, because Oregon is now has it looks like close to their full complement of weapons. Oregon's defense did a great job against Utah last week. This Oregon State offense will attack you, I think, in similar ways without having a Dalton Kincaid at tight end is probably the big difference and, and not as good of a quarterback either. Yeah, it's Dan talked about it, that there's more that there's a lot of similarities, but there are some differences, which is just the obvious answer to this, because like Eric mentioned, Utah has a much better quarterback in Cameron Rising than than Ben Gold, Goldberson, and then they don't have then Oregon State doesn't have Dalton Kincaid. Um, they use their tight ends pretty well. They have Jack Coletto because I'm going to stop saying Jack Costello for this week until so my brain finally realizes it. Um, they use 12, 12, 12 personnel a lot, twenty one personnel a lot. Um, this is a very similar offense. They're going to try and establish the ground game early unless they you know, completely changed direction and they, they tried to establish the passing game early, but Gobranson just, you know, he's to put it nicely. He's just not that guy. He's just not really, I don't think he's capable of carrying an offense on his right arm, um, which is, is good for Oregon's defense because like Eric just mentioned, a Washington style of offense where it is really pass heavy is their ultimate kryptonite. Um, Oregon state is not that um, had their game log up here a second ago, but yeah, in the last five weeks, they've averaged, probably 44 uh, rushing attempts per game. Uh, has a high of 47. 
So that that's what they're going to try and do. Oh, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. For the, for those of you who are listening and not watching, Eric just put a banner at the bottom of the screen saying 12 personnel equals two tight ends, 21 personnel equals two running backs. So just a quick clarification in case those listening or watching didn't know what a 12 personnel or 21 personnel. Um, anyways, Oregon is actually right behind Oregon State in terms of rush defense after this past week against Utah, allowing 112.5, with Oregon State allowing 111.4. Um, I think it's Matt started with this, and Eric, you went off, and so I think I'll I'll go back to defense just for for a couple minutes. Um, Oregon State's defense is is pretty damn good. They are one or two in basically every major statistic in the Pac-12 for team defense. Um, they're a top. 30, I looked this up earlier this morning, 30 or 35 top team, total defensive team in the country. They are solid. However, if you want to look at it from the glass half full perspective, like this podcast probably should, they haven't played a lot of people. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's the bottom of the barrel of the Pac-12, which is pretty bottom of the barrel stuff. So you look at how their defensive performance against Cal, where they only allowed 156 total yards. That's nine rushing yards, which is amazing. But, you know, they've they've done a steady job of holding their opponents to just about 350 and under yards in the Pac-12, especially the last couple of weeks against teams like Arizona State or Cal, Colorado. Um, Washington, I know that they held them to 27 points, but let us not forget that was in, like, a typhoon up there in Seattle with crazy winds and crazy – crazy rain. So that wasn't the ideal throwing conditions for Washington. Um, the Huskies still put up hundred yards on the ground, but this is a good defense. This is um, very similar to how Utah plays their physical. Um, James Krepia has had, had this stat going in the last couple of days, asking Dan and asking players today, especially Bo, where, you know, they have a lot of, they, they, they force a lot of turnovers here. Um, they have 17 total on the season, 12 interceptions. Granted, six of those came within the first two or three weeks, excuse me. Um, regardless, they're they're fast, they're physical, they're aggressive. They have multiple players in the secondary who can switch over from switch over from safety positions, just like Oregon does. Um, this will be a good good defensive test for Oregon's offense, especially considering if um, how mobile Knicks is and what the playbook really opens up to. I, I think. Uh... This point in the season, eleven games. Yes, like Jared and I have said, like you you play some weaker teams, but you've still done your job, and that matters. And Oregon State's defense does not give up the big play. They are first in the conference in allowing the fewest plays of ten or more yards, um, one hundred and thirty six on the season. Utah is second at one hundred and thirty eight. Um, and then you go a little bit further for explosion plays and they're in the top three and, you know, Oregon, ironically enough is second and 37. Um, the worst team in the conference is Colorado in that regard, Stanford, Washington state, Arizona, and uh, weirdly enough, a USC at number eight. Um, but that just gives you an idea. Like they're consistently good. And at this point in the year, you are who you are, and you can't really worry about the teams that you've played, and this defense is pretty good. So it should present a real strong test for Oregon and a def- an offense for Oregon that is still, I think, is it safe to say this this offense is still going to be a little bit, you know, 
limited in what they can do in large part just because of Bo Nix and his ankle and just how it feels at that particular time, at that particular day. It's getting better. He he says he feels better, but it was still, I felt like it was still very clear. It's like, I'm still dealing with some stuff. I'm not like, hey, I played injured last week. Now I'm 100%. I'm good to go. Like, there's still going to be some, immo- he's still going to be immobile a little bit in that game. No, yeah, I I would say don't expect him to suddenly be like he's not going to run for an eighty yard touchdown like he did at Stanford, and he's probably not going to have many designed runs at all. I'll, I'll be genuinely curious to see if we see much or any of that. Um, you know, how much is he even given the opportunity to keep some of those RPOs? Like, I just think there's 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 a lot of things that were staples of the offense early on in the season, and a big part of why they were so successful that you just kind of wonder how much you can actually ask Bo to do with the injury. So um, my guess is that's not going to be, it's not going to be a situation where Bo is really able to be back to who he was during the height of this season until you get to whatever bowl game Oregon is in. Um, So, I mean, I think you can expect him to be, again, probably improving his mobility and, and how much he can do with his feet each week, but I don't think you can expect him to suddenly come back and be talking and running downfield. And I asked him a little bit about, um, you know, one of the things that had made him so dynamic was not just the designed runs, but also the, uh, you know, intuition and then all the capability to, to tuck it and run on a, on a pass play where things break down or he sees an opening in the middle of the field and can take advantage and exploit it. And he said, you know, you just, I just had to be really careful in that Utah game of sometimes I would see an opportunity, but realize I might, aggravate this injury again by by going out and doing something and the last thing he wanted to do was was do that and i think you know you could you could sense that for him it was not a situation of i can't run at all it was more of a situation if i do there might be ramifications of it uh and also the pain tolerance thing of if you're running on a, on a badly sprained ankle that doesn't feel great and, and again you don't want to hurt it even more so i'll be very curious to see kind of what his limitations look like this week, but if you're Oregon State, I think you're game planning, at least initially thinking this is probably going to be pretty close to what we saw against Utah, and and you can expect Oregon from a designed run perspective with Knicks, and probably even from a scrambling perspective, probably to be pretty, pretty minimal in that regard. Is that going to do it for us? Is there? I, I mean, I don't think there's anything else earth shattering that's come out of media availability today or Dan's Monday press conference. I mean, we should note that like, Hey, like we can't report what we see in practice this week, just like it was last week. So that that's going to impact a little bit of, of what we're saying. Um, But nonetheless, you know, there's still plenty out there. We, we we pretty much touched all on what's, what's come from it. The the only guys that we didn't mention that we know are injured are, is Chase Coda, I guess, yeah. who went through pregame last game but didn't play. So we'll see if this is a game where Chase comes back. And Jackson Powers Johnson, I think I mentioned earlier, didn't return. So we don't know what his status is. Obviously, mm-hmm. we think Bo's playing. We think Ryan are playing because they were, they spoke to us. And Ryan at least indicated that he thought Alex. Oh, okay. But if you go by the track record of players talking about other players' injury, maybe it's not reliable. <laughs> Maybe it's not great. Yeah. Because Chris Hudson last week indicated Bo wouldn't be playing and then Bo played. So take Ryan's comments at face value, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't have 
much else to say. Like like Matt mentioned, you know, Eric and I are going to be at practice, but can't can't report on any of it. So we're, there's not going to be any major injury updates from there. Um, I, I think Dan Dan's press conference was. I think we went over all the all the main things that he talked about. Um, I think that that's probably going to do it for us. All right, we'll be back uh, on Thursday. Um, we will have a podcast set up with Carter Bonds of Beaver Blitz. He's going to get us all in tune with the injuries that Oregon State's dealing with because there's a lot there yeah. uh, and give us a good insight into what's their season's been like this season. And then on, on Friday, we'll be back with our usual um, prediction podcast and then Saturday at some point Saturday I don't know if we're going to be able to do it in Research Stadium because uh, it's literally a construction zone we'll have a post game podcast we'll see what the situation there entails for us from podcast standpoint but that'll do it for us for this week and until the next one uh, on Thursday on Thanksgiving morning you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace what if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.